Y'all have a good Sunday. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, um, when I was growing up watching that, I didn't realize what it was saying. Did you? Because I was like, I love, I mean, I still, like, I love, love some, some of that. I mean, that's the best. But I was, uh, I was thinking about this sermon, and I was like, you know what? Because I'm going to talk today about, about attitude. We're going to talk about attitude. And I started just thinking, and, and I was checking out a, another video on YouTube, and that popped up. I was like, sweet. Watch this ER, because I love just complete stupid stuff. And I read it, and I was like, or I listened to it, and, I, and it made sense to me. But I, I want to ask you something. Like, you ever feel like that? You ever feel like that? Because, look, if I ask each of you what this was, It'd be one of two answers, wouldn't it? It's what? Or? That's right. That's right. And that, that amazes me because when I, when I think about that, I've heard it my whole life. I, I mean, I, I've heard it literally my entire life. And it's, it's such a simple question. Is it half empty or is it half full? But see, if you were thirsty and I handed it to you, would you be excited about getting 12 ounces of water? Or or would you be upset that you didn't get 24? And see, we can look at that and we can so quickly blow that off and laugh about, you know, Eeyore. But really? Because that's our life, isn't it? How we see this simple glass of water. It can mean everything. And I, I'm not trying to be like over dramatic and all that. My daughter always accuses me of that, you know, and I'm like, so it's water, real easy, and it's got 12 ounces of 24 in it. And as I saw that, and I thought about that this week, I thought, you know what, golly, that's really, a lot of us, that's our view of the Lord, isn't it? That's our view of God. It can be. Because some of us see a God that only filled up our glass halfway. Some of us see a God, then we're so excited because it's like, oh my gosh, there's 24 ounces in there. I'm going to get another 12 ounces because I know God's going to provide. See, there's two totally different ways of living our lives. And today I want to talk about that. And look, I want to, I just really want you to ask yourself as we go through this, which one am I? Okay, which one am I? And so if you have your your, your Bibles today, it, it will be up on the screen. Before we, before we uh, read this, I do want to ask you this, though. I ask you, ask you this. What is your view of God? What is your view of God? Just, just have that kind of going through your head as, you, as, we, as I read this, okay? So we're going to look at numbers, are y'all so pumped about some numbers? 
It's like, numbers? Yeah, and then we're going to get some Leviticus after this. Just kidding. Just kidding. No, no, but for real, numbers. I love this because, look, here, here's what it says, okay? We're going to start with numbers Numbers 13, yeah, one through three. Okay, so the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So, the Lord's, so, so, so at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Okay, now let's skip on down to verse 17. Okay, when... When, when Moses sent them, sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on, and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or is it, or is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Walled, uh, walled, unwalled, or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile? Is it pure, poor? Gosh. Are the trees on it? Any trees on it or not? Do your your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land, for it was the season for the first ripe grapes. So, so they went up and they explored the land, right? All right, now flip on over. Uh, if you can send your next page. Uh, start at verse 25. At the end of the 40 days. They returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole, and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We, we went into the land to which you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But... The people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And Canaanites live near the sea along the, along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it, but... The men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We looked the same to them. And that night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to, be, only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of uh, Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, they tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into, uh, he will lead us into that land. A land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. 
Only don't rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land because we'll swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid. I have, that was a lot to read. As you could tell as I got tongue-tied in some of it. But let me summarize this real quick, okay? God, took, God told Moses, all right, look, I want you to go to, the, go to all the tribes, grab two people. All right, total of 12, and I'm gonna, I want y'all to I want to send you into the promised land, this land which I've promised to the Israelites forever, like for such a long time. I'm going to send you in there. I just want y'all to go get a good, solid report, and then after 40 days, y'all come on back to me. Real simple, right? Real simple. So 12 people who were representative of the Israelites went and explored the land. And they brought back some of the fruit. They, they brought back and they came in and they brought this report back. And it was, this is, what, this is what blew my mind when I read this. Because they all saw the same thing. Every one of them, they all saw the same thing. They all saw the, the great tree that had the grapes growing. They saw the they saw everything. They saw a land. They even said it. We saw a land flowing with milk and honey. Like they were fired up, right? Or were they? Because what happened, they all saw the same thing, but totally different reports. You see, two of them, Joshua and Caleb, they were like, let's roll, man. It's on. Let's go. Let's go. We got this, God. Let's go. Y'all, come on. Let's go. But yet, 10 of them were like, hold up. Uh -uh, Hold up. Now, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. I saw a whole bunch of people, and they were huge. They were so big because, see, what they were talking about, the Nephilim of of Anak, that was these really tall people. Right, And so they saw that, and they were like, what? I ain't going in there. And they started tripping on all of it. And so their report was that, man, they got huge walls. They got these big people. They're mad at us. Like, we, you know, we can't roll. Like, we, we can't go in there. And then two of them were like, it's on. It's on. The exact same thing, but two totally different reports. In fact, the Israelites, once, they went, once the, the ten reported it to them, to the community, it said that what? The community started tripping out, right? It said that it like went viral through there. That's, you know, that's me paraphrasing. But that's what happened because they were like, oh, man, look, get me out of here. Let's go back to Egypt. Man, our wives and our kids are going down. Y'all ever seen that, uh, y'all are digressing for a moment. You ever seen that YouTube video? It's like, you better hide your wives, you better hide your kids. Y'all ever y'all seen that? <laughs> well, if you have, you know what I'm talking about, right? They were tripping out. We're done. And all of a sudden, the negativity just, just it went straight to them, didn't it? And, and here, look, y'all remind me, how, how, did, how did God get them out of Egypt? From a series of plagues. 
Do y'all remember that? You remember that part? Like all this crazy, I'm not going to go through all the plagues, but stuff happened that I still to this day can't understand how they didn't get it. But yet I have had a pastor tell me, be careful. Egyptians or the Israelites always wanted to go back to Egypt. And he was telling me about that, like myself. Ten of them saw doom and gloom. Two saw opportunity. It's right here. And see, here's the thing. Here's what gets me. That was their destiny. That was their destiny. That was the, the, all the Israelites. Their destiny was to enter into the promised land. And they knew, they were like, oh man, we're, you know, God's, God's, I mean, this is the promised land, but oh my goodness. That was their destiny. Like, like really, like when I think about that, it floors me. That was their destiny. And you know how many of them got in there? You know how many of them saw it? If you just had to guess, how many of them you think saw saw the promised land of all the Israelites right there? Not only the 12, but the whole community, two of them. And who do you think those two were? Joshua and Caleb. We see, if we were to fast forward in Numbers 32, we see that. We see that Joshua and Caleb, because what happens right here, look, what happens right here? The whole community. God said to Moses, He's like, man, he was ticked. He's like, I'm gonna wipe them out. And Moses, like, oh, hold up, hold up, God, hold up, hold up. God, please forgive them. Please forgive them. Please forgive. And Moses bad God. He was like, God, please forgive. And God was like, okay, but they're not getting in. They're not going to the promised land. Yeah, I, it's their destiny. But it's not happening, except for two. And he says, two, Joshua and Caleb. Now, let me ask you something. Why would Joshua and Caleb, why would they get in? Why would they see the promised land? Real simple. Because they saw a big God. They saw a big God. They saw a God that was bigger than that current situation. And so I ask each one of us here today, how big is your God? How big is your God? And for you note takers, I want you to write this down, okay? Number one, our attitude, our attitude can dictate how we see God. Okay, your attitude, real simple, your attitude can dictate how you see God. But check this out. Number two, how you see God can dictate your destiny. Isn't that that something? And, you know, we see it right here. I mean, that's what we see, right? Went virally through the community. And, you know, I love, I love that because it, there's no, you know, it's not like, 
several days passed by, and then all of a sudden one person told this person, this person, this person. It was like, boom, negativity instantly. And it, it just filled the room. Because it, it said the whole assembly, right? The whole, so it even says the Israelite community, they were, they were there. They were all there. And yet, like that, negativity struck. They bought into it. They didn't see their destiny. And I can't help but think, deeply think about that. Because I don't know about you. I want to see a big God. I want my attitude to be one that sees a big God. Because, see, God didn't make you to live in fear. In fact, 1 Timothy, what is it? First, 2 Timothy 1.17 says this. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of sound mind or sound judgment. And, and when, when I think about Psalm 139, which I've talked about in sermons before, where he says that God knit you together. Like, he's, he knit, and I, I used a few weeks ago my grandmother as an, as an example, as she would knit Afghans together. And for hours and hours and hours, what started off as a tiny little piece of yarn, days, months, whatever later, became this beautiful Afghan. And so when I read Psalm 139 and I think about him knitting you together, knitting me together, it takes on a different meaning. Because as he knitted you together, he was like, we'll get a little power right here, okay? Throw a little love on there, right? And then I'm going to put some sound judgment in them. And see, that's not like, that's a problem. That is, that is 100% certain that there is power in you. There is love in you. There is sound judgment in you. Yet, two saw opportunity and ten saw gloom. This past, uh, this past week, past couple of weeks I've been in Atlanta. And my son was playing in a baseball tournament. Been playing in this tournament for a long time. Here's the deal, and I'm not saying this to like, even though it probably will make Reed feel good because I'm sharing this. I'm not sharing it to say, oh, man, look, my son in baseball. But I'm sharing it because this is, they went over there. This is the, this was the, it's called the perfect game WWBA. It is the the 15, he's 15, it's a 15-year-old national, national championship. And I mean like the real national championship. What it is, it's over 300 teams from all across the United States. And they, they put these teams together and, and they come and they, they play each other for a week in this huge tournament. Because what they want is that, that team wants to hold the coveted best 15-year-old team in the nation for 2017. And it is a fight 
man, it's a fight. And it was so amazing to see because I'll be honest, we've, we've tried for several years, but it didn't, it didn't happen. They didn't, they didn't win. But there was something a little bit different about this, this team. In fact, their motto was heart and soul heart and soul. And, we're, and, and the, the reason is because in the Word, in the Word, they're, they're with an organization called East Coast, and East Coast is very, very good about, well, it's a Christian organization. And the team adopted heart and soul because in 1 Samuel 14, it talks about Jonathan. Y'all know Saul's son, Jonathan, who was David's best friend, right? Well, Jonathan was sitting over there on this, there were these two passes, right? Like these two cliffs. And he was sitting over there, and he, he was with Saul and all Saul's baddest dudes. And then there was the Philistines sitting over here. And, and what Jonathan got tired of just like nobody was going to go take down the Philistines. And Jonathan got tired of it. So he looked over at his armor bearer and he said, hey, man, let's roll on over here. And like, if God says this, then we'll know he's on our side and they're going down. Those people are going down. And you know what his armor bearer said to him? He said, I, I'm, do all you have in mind. He said, here. His armor bearer didn't, it wasn't like that dude was packing heat. Like he, he they, they, so it's, the word says that they went across the pass. And the Philistines were up on this cliff. And it's the first place in scripture where, where, you, where it talks about rock climbing. And I'm fascinated by those people that, that, that climb rocks. One, because I would never do it. But two, just because it, it is fascinating to me. But see, his armor bearer, did, he, he, he followed him. And, and he went over there. And as they got to the Philistines, the Philistines were like, hey, come get you some. And they were like, oh, it is on. Oh, it is on now. Because Jonathan looked at his armor bearer Second time, he's like, are you with me? Because they were having to climb these, they were about to climb this cliff. And you know what his armor bearer said? He didn't say, oh my goodness, they are so big, they are so bad. There's like a whole bunch of them and I can't hang with that, I'm gone, peace out. No, you know what he said? I'm with you heart and soul. You see, he saw something different. Because see, his armor bearer and Jonathan, they believed that there was something bigger. That something bigger was the almighty God. They knew that he was on their side and they went. And the word says they killed 20 in the first attack. And then it says the army got so scared that they ran. They took off running. And can you sense it? Can you feel it? Can you feel Jonathan and his armor bearers? They stand there in power because God was on their side and they knew it and they claimed it and they had victory in it. You see that baseball team that I'm talking about? When, 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 when they looked across and, and they saw guys that are going to be playing in the, in the pros next year or the, or when they're 18, those kind of guys, when they saw the giants of Nephilim facing them, if one of them got a little scared, the rest of them were like, oh, no, uh-uh, we got this. And see, because of that, that mentality, that go mentality, because of that, their destiny of being 
the best baseball team in the nation for 2017, 15-year-old, they'll die. They will go to their grave knowing that in 2017, they were the best there ever was. You see what I mean? See, they saw the glass. 12 ounces of extra opportunity. And that's what happened. And my prayer, my plead for everybody here is that that's what we would, that's how we would see God. That's how we would see God. Because we go through life, if we're honest, we go through life seeing a God that's too small. I mean, it's one of our core beliefs here at Bellwether that we see a big God. We are doing everything. Whatever I can do to help you see a big God, I I, want to help you, but I'm I'm tired. I want to be honest. I'm tired of people watching their lives just get destroyed, and I I see something so amazing, but they don't see a big God. They don't. It hurts. And I'm not sitting here saying, oh, man, I see a big God in everything. I tell you, I wake up every morning and I pray so hard for God to help me. God, help me see you in something. Help me. You're bigger. Help me. Help me. How do you see God? See, our attitude dictates how we see God. And how we see God can dictate our destiny. God told Abraham in in Genesis 5, he said, I made you the father of many nations. Right? How many of y'all heard that? Here's here's what what God told Abraham, I made you the father of many nations. Okay, but hold up. Abraham was 100, and his wife was barren. And there was not, I will make you. God didn't say, I will make you the father. No, 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 no. I made you the father of many nations. As in like when I was knitting you together, when I was putting that power, when I was putting that love, when I was putting that sound judgment in you, I also made you before you were ever born to be the father of many nations. If you turn to Romans 4, check this out. I love it because Romans 4.18 says this, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was good as dead since he was 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. 
Abraham's destiny was to be the father of many nations. And yet the word is unbelievably clear. Against all hope. Because he believed. He's the father of many nations. And as I, as I read that, I have to, I have to ask myself, when, when my life gets hit with against all hope, when things come against me that don't make sense, when I'm 100 years old and my wife is barren, but yet I'm the father of many nations, am I really going to believe that? Or am I going to listen to what the world is telling me and miss my destiny? What has God put in you? God has your destiny already lined out. I mean, isn't that amazing? He has your destiny already lined out. So each one of you, each one of you, God is prepared. In fact, the word says he has ordained your steps. What are you going to do about that? Because you can so quickly allow the negative to get into your mind and keep you from seeing a big God. What would have happened if Abraham had been like, eh, man, I don't believe that. I'm 100. No, he didn't do that. But what if? And you know, God has actually given us, he's get like, so, so look, well, let me back up. I know uh, when, I was, when I was reading this, one of the things I kept, I kept hearing was, you know, How? How? Because so many of us have these, you know, we, we have great, you know, some, honestly, if I'm just straight up, some of us are, are born, or what if, or whatever happens, we wake up and we don't see the glass as 12 ounces of opportunity, do we? We, we really, we can't help it. It's just the way that, just the way that we're, right? It's the way that some of us are wired. But the truth is, you can't help it. Because God's word, his word says so. mesmerized by that I really am I'm going to drink some of it too (laughs) I got four points here I want to I want to talk about today real simple number one get in God's word daily Get in God's word daily and do what he says. Philippians 4, 8 through 10 says this. Whatever is pure, no, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely or admirable, whatever is praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you've learned or received in me, heard from me or seen in me, think about these things. In fact, think, the translation is meditate. It'd be our definition of meditate on these things. And then he says, get this, so here's the consequence of that. The God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. So right here, how do we change our attitude? Well, real, real simple. Think about the things he's done. 
Think about those things. Meditate on those things. And number two, believe what he says about you. I can't tell you the number of people that come up to me. Oh man, I'm just I can I just can't, I can't do this. I'm just I'm just such a bad person. I'm just it, it. We have a sports camp that we do. Y'all know about it at night. I have had dozens of people this year come up and go, oh, man, I just really like what y'all are doing, but I, I just can't do it. I'm just not. God would never let me do something like that. And see, I don't know if they're looking for, for sympathy, but what I'm doing is going, so you hadn't read your Bible, huh? Because if you read your Bible, you would know that's exactly the opposite of what God says about you. In fact, Ephesians 2.10 says that you're God's masterpiece, that you're made anew in Jesus. 139, as we've said, says you were knitted together in your mother's womb, that, that he knitted you together. 100 says you're his. You're the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 34.5 says those who look to him, check this out, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces never cover in shame. And I know that, like, you know, look, I get the whole amazing grace, and we're singing what a wretched sinner we are and all that. Love that. Absolutely love it. But we got to stop waking up every day thinking of ourselves as wretched sinners and celebrate the fact that the Almighty God died for you and died for me so that we can be called his children. We got to claim victory in his righteousness. We got to wake up celebrating the fact that God poured new mercies on us this morning and that no matter what happens, you are God's child. You do. Kills me. And you know why? I want to be honest. I got a shady past, man. I got a shady past. (laughs) If you don't think I wake up every day claiming victory in that, it's the only way I make it through it. You got to believe in the power that he gave you. When you do this, look, your attitude will naturally start to to change. The negativity will slowly start to, to be gone. Number three, trust him, delight in him, commit to him, and be still and wait. I know you're like, man, that sounds pretty solid, Chris. I'm like, I know, but I didn't write it actually. It's Psalm 37. So, it's 37, three through, three through six. And, and God says to, to trust, when you trust, you will enjoy safe pasture. When you delight, he'll give you the desires of your heart. When you commit, check this out. When you commit to the Lord, it says this, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. The, listen. The justice of your cause like the noonday sun. And then be still and wait patiently. And then number four, be consistent. Be consistent. I had a very short tenure (laughs) right after college as a stockbroker. I loved it. I was horrible at it, but I loved it, right? But one thing I did learn was, um, you know, the, the, the effect of compounding money. And we've all heard that, you know, compounding money. As, you, as the interest grows, 
and then you get your dividend, it continues, you make more and more and more. And that compounding effect of a single dollar over the years can become tons of money. Well, see, consistency. With consistency, you'll change. With consistent, consistency, things change. Never underestimate the power, listen, of compounding consistency. It's what God will use. Compounding consistency. Those, those four things. Look, and then I'm going to close it like this. I know that it's oversimplified. I know it. So, I mean, you know, your attitude can your attitude can dictate how you see God, and how you see God can dictate your destiny. But it's true. And so as you leave here today, I want to challenge you this. First of all, if you know Christ, I just believe what he says about you. If there's anything, if, there's any, if I left with one thing today, it would be just believe what he says about you. I say this all the time. Teddy says this all the time too. We tell the kids with Heart of David, we say this. Make a decision then have the guts to do it. Make a decision and have the guts to do it. If you got a problem with your attitude, don't complain to me about your attitude. Make a decision and have the guts to change it because I'm telling you this word will change your attitude. And if you, gotta, if you don't know the Lord, listen, if you don't know the Lord, I am literally pleading with you. Don't go one more second without accepting Jesus. And come to me, I'll talk to you about it. I'd love to. Don't live another second. As we leave here today, I challenge each one of you, Wake up. Wake up daily. Get in his word. Believe what he says about you. And see a massively big God. And go get your destiny. Go get your destiny. Fathers, we come before you this morning, God. We're thankful. We're thankful for your love. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful that the things you say about us are true. God, I thank you that you don't see us for who we are. You see us for who we can be. I thank you for that, God. And Lord, more than anything, I thank you for Jesus and what he did for each one of us. We love you, Lord. Amen.